This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour for Sunday, Grey Cup Sunday. Uh, We have in-studio co-hosting with us today is Butch Carter. And in Miami, Florida, to watch Miami and the San Francisco 49ers, we have Wally Regamont. Wally, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? How are you, Butch? Good, good. How are you doing down there? I'm doing great. Um, I guess the weather's a little bit warmer here than it is there, but uh, doing great so far. Well, what made you Miami and San Francisco? Not uh, Well, Miami's not bad. They're in a playoff hunt, but San Francisco, terrible team. Why? What got you to that yeah. game? To make a long story short, we just we we wrapped that game around uh, just a little R and R trip for the boys. So um, uh, just uh, just having playing a little bit of golf, having some fun down here, enjoying the weather. And uh, we're not a not a I'm not a big Miami Dolphin fan, and it just ha- so happens that San Francisco was in town this particular weekend. So uh, that that's uh, to make a long story short. Uh, that but certainly looking forward to it. Uh, it's always exciting to watch uh, watch an NFL game. It's uh, it's an experience, not as big as an experience. Uh, Butch, maybe you might want to comment. Is I've been to Ohio State sometimes, a couple of times to watch the Buckeyes at the uh, at the Horseshoe, and uh, what a game yesterday uh, against Michigan. Well, I thought that Woody and Bo were on the sideline when the game started out. I mean, I'm talking talking to a friend of mine, and he was in New Jersey. We both grew up in Ohio. He's like, man, this is like three yards in a cloud of dust. <laughs> so we yeah. thought it was uh, two teams trying not to lose uh, for the most part, and uh, they did a pretty good job. And a, and a kicker that, you know, he, he got salvation because I'm not sure he would survive on campus <laughs> if the Buckeyes had the one. Now, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Now, does that, is anybody going to beat Alabama, Butch? I don't think anyone's going to beat Alabama. I think that uh, it gets it gets really tough for the Big Ten uh, winner uh, because of playing a conference championship. Alabama's very good. They're going to play in the SEC championship, and it, regardless, win or lose, they'll still be in the playoff. And I actually think they'll be a bit, if they lose the SEC championship for whatever reason they will be even more determined to win the uh, the championship again. And I imagine that um, Coach Saban is looking for Urban Meyer and his Buckeyes if he gets a chance to uh, <laughs> redeem, himself. redeem himself. Yeah, they got blown hey, out. Gonna, just on that one, Naz, I know that you're a big, uh, a big rolling tide uh, fan, and uh, this is a pretty scary it's going to take an upset of monumental proportions to uh, to put away this Alabama team. The scary part about them, and as I know you follow them uh, really, really carefully, maybe you can comment. They seem to be getting better uh, as the season goes along. It's they, they seem to be playing in a totally different league they than they, everybody else. They haven't given up a touchdown in four games. 
It's all field goals. I, I just I just think they have an awesome disposition. They seem to have a maturity that's beyond their coaching staff. Um, an example, you know, they're running a run and play. The ball fumbles. The ball bounces. He just calmly picks it up and runs it, you know. And uh, there's not a bunch of panic in them. And, uh, you know, I, I think when I start, first started flipping back and forth, it was 3-0 Auburn. Yeah. Um, and there's just no panic in them. They just go about it. They do their thing. But they have the maturity that all coaches wish they could have a team that has that kind of maturity and disposition. Now, Alabama, gave, the first half they gained 300 yards to, uh, to Auburn's 35, I think, or 39, and Auburn was four points out. I said at halftime, there's no way. If they couldn't score any points then, they're not going to beat Alabama, and they lost 30-12. to 12. Now, another subject. we got to go to the Grey Cup. And I was uh, Here's the report, Wally. If you haven't heard this, yep. Grey Cup has not sold out. Track. Yeah, go ahead. The Grey Cup has not sold out yet. What's going on with that, Butch? Uh, go ahead, Walter. You take. You, no, I, no. I, I'll give, give I, you I, first. I, 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 yeah, I just I'm, I'm a little bit animated this morning on uh, on certain subjects. I, I, you know, it's just I don't get the Grey Cup. Uh, why there's no buzz in it in Toronto and. Um, you know, we talked to Michael Copeland, the, the president of the Argos, earlier on in the year, Naz, and we thought we thought there'd be a dramatic turnaround in interest in the CFL, especially in the Toronto Argonauts this year, with the with the tremendous new facility that they were playing at, with new ownership, with the Grey Cup being in Toronto, and there's just no buzz whatsoever. Um, I don't get it. I, I really, I don't get it. I don't know if it's been mismanaged. I don't know if the CFL is is uh, just um, the the level of interest is just it's irretrievable. Um, I would have thought this year uh, there would have been much more interest in the CFL. And I, and I read the whole story about the pizza pizza thing. They were giving out. You know all kinds of uh, uh, Coke and pizza, and and they were, for twenty nine ninety nine, and they threw in a couple of Argos tickets because they weren't sold. Great Cup tickets, um, Great Cup tickets, yeah. Yeah, Great Cup tickets. Sorry, um, I don't get it, Butch. What, it's, what are your it's, thoughts? it's pretty simple. The uh, the Argos have probably missed a generation. Uh, they played in the dome. Um, MLS came in the town. Uh, the Raptors have reached a peak. Uh, across the country, the Blue Jays have been hotter, hotter than, uh, you know, uh, a 500 degree oven. I mean, it's uh, they they just missed it from an entertainment standpoint. There are only so many dollars are going to be spent on teams, and the Argos, you know, missed out on that. They had all those years in which they played in a dysfunctional building for the fan, as far as fan engagement, and um, you know, I was impressed with uh, the seating. Uh, chart that they sent out uh, when they were trying to sell season tickets. Uh, I like the CFL. Uh, have been to a couple Argo games, but you know, basically they they missed the boat, and that's that's really what's happened. And uh, a lot of those fans potentially. Uh, and remember, you got to remember, families have moved out of the core downtown Toronto, right? So they they don't have they don't have a base. They're not going to have a base of families to go to Argo games where the other CFL teams do in the communities that they're in. There is no, you know, Toronto community for CFL football. That's, you know, that, that day is, is gone, unfortunately. So, um, you know, it's just a miss. And, uh, that was the risk they took. Uh, Braley 
was seeing it uh, clearly. It's it's entirely different for his Vancouver team than it was for his Argo team. And uh, David thought that MLSE would be able to sell a lot of tickets. Um, you know, and, and it's becoming clear that, you know, Ticketmaster doesn't rule and force people to go to Argos games. You know, there's nothing that's – you have to have a genuine engagement uh, with your fans um, that's sincere and, and to the core, and it has to go, you know, as young as probably seven or eight years old and start there. But I think that they have genuinely missed uh, a generation of fans with what has gone on with them, and it's clearly reflected in the, uh, the Grey Cup and the lack of interest, especially with the Leafs, Raptors, Blue Jays and the the seriousness of what's going on with the MLS team. Guys, what would happen yeah. if what would happen if the Argos weren't part of the CFL? Would the CFL still exist, Butch? Uh, <clears throat> one, you need the Argos for TV, right? If you know that's TV is the big driver for for the uh, new facilities that will be built. The new facilities will be remodeled. Players, better players. Better salary cap. It's just uh, it makes the league more functional. You can't take a um, a province of 34 million people, you know, and then take uh, you know its biggest contributor, you know, out. You you could move the team. I believe that the team is ill fitted for it to be downtown, and if it wants to uh, grow its base, they're not going to be able to grow the base because the kids aren't going to be here because families don't live downtown. Well, the west, the west is the Hamilton Tiger Cats, so it wouldn't make sense to go there. But you, you're probably suggesting the east, the eastern side of. Uh, they have to. Go, they have to go east or north. East or uh, north. Yeah. What do you think, Wally? I, I always, um, I always thought the I, I totally agree with Butch. I, I thought they when they when they had that discussion about moving the Argos to York University. I can't remember. I think that was under Sokolowski and Cinnamon. I, I always thought they missed a great opportunity. I always thought the way to re- if you're going to retrieve the Argos, it's got to become a family event um, where you know you can get a family of four to go to the event and, and walk out, and you know there's still some of your paycheck left. Uh, and I thought that's the 905. That's that's the logical place for the Argos to be. But of course, you know everybody wants to be downtown because that's where the buzz is. Um, so I thought they'd missed an opportunity there. Uh, and I, and I want to go back to this, which, um, cause I want to pose a very direct question to you. Uh, I, first of all, I don't, you know, when, when I think of great cup, when I wake up on great cup Sunday, I, it brings me back, Butch. I don't know when you first started watching this CFL, uh, what your history with the CFL is, but you know, for a Canadian kid growing up and, and you know, Naz and I were, you know, we're big CFL fans when we were younger. I mean, when I wake up great cup Sunday, I think of Russ Jackson. I think of Margene Atkins. I think of Vic Washington. I think of that great Grey Cup game in 1968 at CNE Stadium. I don't know, Naz, if you remember that. Of course, I remember. Uh, and there was, you know, some fabulous Grey Cup games. I think of the 1971 Argos. And interesting enough, Butch, we talked to Joe Theismann last Sunday, and every time we talk to Joe Theismann, he always he always gets a plug in for the 1971 Argos, which is. You know, was one of the most popular teams to ever existed in the city of Toronto. Didn't win the Great Cup on the infamous Leon McCoy fumble, and who can remember? Who can forget that one, Naz? But um, and, and Butch, you talk about a lost generation of fans. 
And I want to point a, a very pointed question to you, uh, Butch. Um, are the Toronto Argos retrievable? Can they survive uh, with the level of interest that now exists in the sea, uh, amongst the Torontonians in the NFL? What's the long-term future for the Toronto Argos in the Toronto market? Well, I mean, I'm a fan of Mr. Copeland's. I think that, that he will do an excellent job with whatever he is given. But I, I do believe they are uh, they are a misfit for, to play downtown. Um, uh, TFC, with the TFC success and the investment that's been made there, uh, we know that we have an international following behind TFC. Um, you know, they've done very well. They're, they have fought to stay and, and, and gain the excellence in which they're performing at right now. Uh, but I believe the CFL as a whole is a family-oriented, you know, one generation taking the next generation and, and those memories being there. Well, I've been a CFL fan since I've been in Toronto. You know, it's, it was easy for me because Bud Grant was such a longtime coach of the Vikings. Uh, and then my nephew, Ken Stafford, wide receiver, uh, that won the Grey Cup last year in Edmonton, which was a tremendous event in, in our family life because Ken got to say tell his uncles that he had something that they could never get. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was talking to my mom the other day. She was telling me that Ken was there and uh, staying with her. And they were going to sit and watch the Grey Cup. So, you know, from the States, I mean, the Grey Cup is extremely important uh, across the country. Uh, Chris Berman, uh, this morning he predicted Calgary, you know, to two touchdowns over Ottawa. You know, so it it has a following. Berman has been extremely loyal to to, uh, the Canadian Football League, um, which is a huge, huge asset. But I think that uh, right now, when you look at all the things that surround sports teams, that should surround sports teams, even if you're bad, you have to have an opportunity to ingrain yourself into a generation. And there are lots of ways you can promote and do that. But your generation, your youth generation, for as far as families, your your families that have two, three, four kids uh, and over $100,000 household income, you're not going to find them downtown in groups that will be able to buy 20,000 season tickets. And that's the problem that they have. So how did they sell TFC then? Because they're downtown. Is that a different market altogether, guys? <clears throat> a lot of a lot of TFC, if you go, are a lot of males. You know, they're in that. Uh, I would say they're very strong in the twenty-five to forty-five uh, male age age group, and uh, those guys are going with their buddies. And and uh, you know, it it also the whole soccer uh, supporter club is strong in that male segment. So. Um, uh, Canadian football does not have a supporters club. They don't have, you know, a fan club that, you know, that sits in one spot. So, um, you know, it's it's a tougher sale, especially when they have the value of real estate accelerating as high as it is in Toronto on an annual basis. Families have to go elsewhere. And those families, I believe, are the, are the, should be the core base of, of what a CFL fan team sh- should be. Yeah, well, those days yeah, wanna, are, those days are over with the CFL point. from the '60s, though. They, they're never going yeah, to bring that I, back. And I don't want to live. In, I don't want to live in the past. I just bring that we up. We all live in the past at certain points, you know. Yeah, you know, we're all Zoomers, right? But uh, I just bring that up for the point of how we, you know, in case you I mean how popular the CFL was. I mean, it was like when when we grew up, we wanted to be. I wanted to be with Tucker. You know, I didn't want to. But be do with you know who Whit Tucker is? No, Not I a chance. No I wanted to be with Tucker, number twenty-six for the uh, for the Ottawa Rough Riders in the in the mid '60s, taking passes for Russ Jackson. 
you know, those are the when we were growing up being high school football players. I mean, you and I, Naz, we played high school football. I was a flanker. I, I wanted to be with Tucker, you know, and you know that's gone. But I want to get back to a point, uh, Butch, and I, and I want to take the opportunity uh, of drawing your expertise in on this point because I've been I've made the point on the show a few times. Sometimes, Naz, you agree with me. Sometimes you don't. And, and it came up this year so many times that the Toronto Argos, you know, we'd sit in studio, Naz and I, before the show on a Sunday morning, and say, Naz, when are the Argos playing this week? And neither, we, we'd look at each other and we'd say, neither, none, neither one of us knew. Mm, that's true. Um, and, and that's sort of the beauty of football in the States is you don't have to go check the schedule. You know when they're playing. High school football is Friday night. You know, NCAA football is Saturday for most, you know, other than Thanksgiving and the odd. You know, they're trying to move the franchise away to Friday and Thursday nights at times. And NFL football is generally basically a Sunday afternoon sport. You know when it's on. It's an event because of that. In Toronto, how many games did we have this year, Ned, that were either on a Monday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night? I couldn't even tell you when these games were on. They were scattered all over the place, Wally. But you know what? The NFL is almost every night, too, now, though. You know, like the NFL is almost every night, too. The NFL is, uh, but it's still a Sunday sport for for most purposes. You you know Sunday there's going to be, you know, 10 NFL games, okay? The CFL is all over the place in terms of their scheduling. And, And that's, to me, that's one of the reasons they can't make a game into an event because unless you're a diehard fan, you don't know when these things are, you don't know when they're playing. So then it, then it tells you that you will have deterioration because if you're not a diehard fan and you don't have a book of season tickets, then everyone else outside of that is going to be tough for them to find you. And so, you know, that deterioration is clearly, you know, what we're seeing. Uh, It's, it's being, you know, exemplified all the way through the great cup which is unfortunate because, you know, the Grey Cup should be the greatest day in Canadian, Canadian sports, you know, as it historically has been. But it's correctable. The reality is that, you know, if you accept that you have an issue in professional sports, most of the time it is correctable. The issue at the end of the day is, you know, will they try to correct it? And But I still say it goes to this core issue of any sports franchise, you know, trying to start. You've got to be deeply local. And right now, the Argos are not deeply local. Uh, you know, I'm a sports guy, but I couldn't name you six guys that play on the Argos outside of Ricky Ray. I couldn't Ray. name you. I couldn't name, yeah, me too. I couldn't name you three. Right. So that, that is difficult. And the only guy I know in Ottawa is Henry Burris That's because correct. he's been around the league so long. That's he's been correct. around longer than uh, and, most quarterbacks, right? Again, but those those guys who have been around, you know, with age and Henry, you know, winning helps you follow the team, and I think you know the the Red Blacks as a as a sports city went through this challenge also because the Ottawa Sixty Sevens lost fans drastically when the Red Blacks showed up because people only have a certain amount of dollars they can spend on entertainment and they allocate those dollars and most of the time that that the entertainment budget is, is being for families is being driven by what the missus says and what they're going to do and so. Um, you know, it is an impact that, you know, that you can change. You know, will they change it? 
I agree with you. I've always said, you know, it's the reason we we did a TV deal with Yes TV because it's clear that TSN and Rogers have split the baby. And every time they split the baby and you, and you don't have a super channel, fans lose. We're going to go for a commercial. Wally, hang on after the commercial. I want to talk about the NFL in Toronto for about five, ten minutes. And then Butch has agreed to uh, interview him about his career, his coaching and playing career in the NBA. So we'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when they got up in my grill. Ponto Combo, Ponto Combo. You get two Ponto Rotti with two toppings per, plus ten chicken wings, I say for sure. Ponto Combo, Ponto Combo. That's nineteen ninety nine. A deal, for real, a steal. Ponto Combo, Ponto Combo. Yo, visit pizzaville.ca or pound 3636 from your cell phone, word. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. And uh, I wanted to pose the question to both Wally and uh, Butch. NFL, Toronto. I still think they're looking at Toronto as an NFL for an NFL team. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Butch. Well, I mean, the Godfather Paul Godfrey, you know, started a long time, and you know, he if if Toronto ever gets one, he should he should always be part of the conversation for getting credit for it because he was dating the NFL when everyone thought it wasn't popular to do, and. Um, I don't see, you know, they, they're not going to bring one team in. I believe that the NFL would expand to Europe before they would expand to uh, 
you know, internationally to, to Toronto. Um, you know, just, just from my insider information, you know, that's, that's what we believe. We believe that, uh, they would make more money by, um, getting six billionaires in Europe to put teams in play instead of one or two in Toronto. So, um, I think they want NFL football. There's no question. Um, but I think they have, there's a lot older money and stronger money in Europe than there is in just one city in, in Canada. Is it uh, feasible to have it out in the, uh, into Germany or England or Mexico City? Is I don't see it being feasible to go there. And I see Toronto is the only open market. Yeah, but the issue is, in the, the day, is that you got enough football players to to put five or six more football teams together. Oh, and, the quarterbacking would be terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, but that's true. But you know, you, only they only they'd have to watch it because <laughs> they're seven hours ahead of us. So, um, but I mean, from the standpoint of filling the jobs, that that part is easy. Um, you've got enough coaches, you got enough players to fill the, to fill the rosters. Uh, the question is, you know, will global soccer allow them in their stadiums to play football, which I don't believe they would because it's grass. So I think that's that's the issue on uh, you know, on where where do they play. But I think they would want to put a division. Eventually, I think they want to put a division in Europe. Wally, what do you think? I think yeah, it's I, I've almost thought there was a certain inevitability about the NFL coming to Toronto. Um, are there enough rich billionaires in Canada? Uh, I think the level of passion for the NFL in Toronto is is astounding. It really is. Uh, I Extremely mean, I high. Down to, I mean, I went down to the pits. I went down to Heinz, as you know. When I was at Heinz Field a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, there must have been. There were thousands of people driving down the I-90 or whatever it is from Buffalo to uh, from Toronto. There's thousands of Torontonians. I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of Torontonians at the Miami game today. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the Toronto market, um, there's got to be some, forget about a new franchise, Butch, uh, which I agree that you can only dilute the product so much. There's probably a couple of NFL owners in the States in certain markets who are looking to move their franchises that would salivate over bringing a, a team to the Toronto market. Uh, of course, the issue is the billion dollars to build a stadium. I've always thought the reason the NFL isn't here or isn't more interested in coming here, quite frankly, um, I've always thought it was because they didn't want to step on the CFL's toes. I, I really believe that. Um, they never wa- they never wanted to damage Toronto in the CFL market, uh, and I still think that there's a certain – I don't know um, – I don't know what you want to call it, uh, but there's a certain level of respect for the CFL uh, that um, they, unless it's overwhelming to come to Toronto market, they're not going to. Um, economics or no economics, I think the economics probably make a lot of sense. The Toronto Argos, in, uh, sorry, the Toronto NFL team, an NFL team in Toronto would be like the, the like the Blue Jays and the Raptors. They'd end up being Canada's team. Uh, the market for this for the NFL in Canada uh, would, would run through Toronto. Um, uh, Toronto, whatever their NFL team would be Canada's team. And that's got to be a, that's got to be a market. That's got to be pretty attractive to some NFL owner. That's looking to relocate his team. 
There's but, a few of them looking. Uh, Jacksonville's always have been talking about that. Uh, the Raiders now are going to probably Vegas, right? Yeah. But uh, there has been always talk. Minnesota at one point was talking about uh, that too. San Diego Chargers. It depends yeah, on the year, I guess. The, yeah, you got to go overcome the stadium issue because you know uh, an owner coming in from Jacksonville doesn't necessarily want to spend a billion dollars building a new stadium. Maybe somebody local might be interested, and if there's if there's deep pockets enough to do that, if Rogers and Bell. Uh, Want to want to get together and spend another billion dollars? Uh, who knows? But uh, don't don't count out Tannenbaum and Bell there, Wally. Tannenbaum and Bell, yeah. you know they're partnering up on the Argos. I wouldn't be surprised if they're they're in the picture in the background somehow. I, I just don't see anything that they're going to go after. That's just going. I I don't think anybody wants the PR of being the person or the entity that killed the CFL in Toronto, and I and. That's why I don't think these discussions have gotten any hotter in the last uh, since uh, since uh, they, since they talked about uh, the bills and and that kind of thing a few years. I think it's sort of been on hold for a while. Um, I might be wrong, Butch, but I, ju- I just think there's a certain level of NFL doesn't want to touch, doesn't want to step on the CFL's toes. Well, I mean, the issue at the end of the day is that. Um any owner or a franchise that's turning over due to uh, inheritance issues would be a viable option to come here. I don't think we should worry about the stadium because you, you don't you don't put your toe in the water for an NFL team if you're worried about building a stadium. I think the, the stadium will get built one way or another uh, by hook or crook. So I think, you know, from the standpoint of uh, it, an, exp- an expansion is probably not the way to go. It probably would be moving a team that would keep the number at 30. So that it wouldn't bother the schedule, um, but I think the overall value accretion to NFL owners is is building another division on another uh, continent. Um, and I think within the thirty, if uh, if there is an inheritance issue or on a transfer of ownership, that the Toronto guys would be in play a lot easier than trying to get an expansion team. Now we're going to go. Go ahead, Wally. One last comment. Go ahead. I just want to ask Butch. You know what? I want to ask Butch. I got to get his opinion on this. The threshold question in this discussion, or, or an important question in this discussion, and we sort of danced around it a little bit. Can the NFL and the CFL uh, coexist in the Toronto market? Which is really a way of saying, can the Argos survive if there's an NFL team in Toronto? Butch, you're still going to have a segment of of uh, you got five million in the GTA. Uh, growing, you know, annually, you're still going to have a segment of families that won't be able to afford NFL games. You know, it goes to the core issue, of, you know, why I built the Canadian Basketball League. Uh, these communities around uh, the Raps, uh, these families can't afford, you know, the four seats to come to a game. So, um, you know, yes, I do believe that the Argos, you know, placed somewhere differently um, would be very successful on a family-oriented community uh, and maybe a community-owned team. So, there, you know, there are two or three ways to skin that cat. The CFL is the CFL to to its core. Those fans who love the CFL are all in communities that need that franchise. And uh, I just think you need to find a community that needs, uh, you know, the franchise. So, uh, and, allow, and it allows Toronto Metro to be what it is, you know, Metro, professional, loving community. A lot of uh, going on to another topic. We're gonna we're gonna do the interview with Butch now on uh, on his career and that. 
Wally, thanks. But uh, listen in, and if you want to chime in and, uh, with a question, no problem. Butch, you started off your uh, playing basketball at, at Middletown High School in o- Ohio, right? Yes. And you did play football also. Yes, I did. Now, what made you choose basketball? I went to on a visit with my with my mother to an Ohio State game, and Archie Griffith and Cornelius Green came out in suits and briefcases. And uh, I I don't think I owned a suit at the time. Definitely didn't own a briefcase, <laughs> and it just it just wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't your cup of tea, so you decided to play basketball. I decided to play basketball, and, and um, no one had ever graduated from college in my family, and that was really important that I become the first one to graduate from college. And so uh, Indiana was graduating their players. And, uh, you know, when I was asking the question to other places, you know, they kept getting back to you would play here and this is the uniform you wear and you'd have all these people yelling and screaming for you. So my core issue, Indiana was the only one that answered that question. Now, Indiana, you played college basketball there, right? Yes. And Bobby Knight. Tell yeah. me a bit about Bobby Knight. Knight's a jerk. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he promised my mom that I'd get my education and he kept his promise. Um, but he's a bully. He's a bully in every sense of, of the name. And, uh, you know, I come from a really tough background. I come from playing. I grew up in a housing project in Middletown. We moved there after my ninth grade year in high school. Uh, I played outside um, and learned how to play basketball in Middletown. And Middletown, at that time, had won eight state championships. So you could be on the on the basketball court with guys – 10, 15 years from you, and they knew how to play. And my lessons were, were learned the hard way. Um, I learned to imitate all the good things that they did and stay away from the bad things. Uh, it was a great place to learn how to play basketball. And uh, I, I benefited, my whole family benefited from that experience. And But, but going, going at night and him yelling and screaming or him yelling at me because somebody else did something, it was no big deal. You know, I mean, uh, my mother was a lot tougher than Bobby Knight. One night I came in, I didn't get in before the street light was on, right? And she was waiting. You, you remember the old vac, the old vacuum cleaners with the long hoses on? Oh them? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I and I smarted off, and she popped me right across my head. <laughs> <laughs> and the next morning, I was being called down for breakfast, and I came down, my eyes all out here. Right? <laughs> She's like, "Boy, what happened to you? <laughs> like, don't you remember last night?" So. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a household where, you know, we really had no choice except to do the right thing, and we tried all the time. I owe, you know, I owe a lot to mom about that. And um, But, you know, I went to Indiana to get a degree, and I had a wonderful time there. Um, outside of practice, it was it's a beautiful, wonderful community. Um, there were there were three families that were very important to, to my, my culture and growing up there. Uh, George Talaferro and his wife, Vi, were the ones that educated me. Mr. Talaferro was the first African-American football player at Indiana University. Um, Bob and Peggy Alexander, uh, where I had many a meal, and Kent Benson was the one that introduced me to them, were just great people. And the late Dr. Jim Ross, who was over financial aids, and, and Dr. Ross, all the tough times I had in practice, I'd go see Dr. Ross and... Um, we would sit down and he would uh, give me a great meal and, and, and a cold beer and I'd go back into practice swinging the next day. So, you know, it, it was uh, it was a very nurturing environment uh, outside of the basketball court. And uh, I'm better off for every day that I spent at the university. Is this where you met uh, Glenn Grunwald? 
Yeah, this, but, I met I met Gunner in the Glenn Grandwall was a premier McDonald's All American, uh, better basketball player than me, not even close. And unfortunately, between the time that we uh, met at the McDonald's game and the first day of, of registration in Indiana, Glenn hurt his knee, and he was never the same player. But he was a large reason why I was happy to go to Indiana. He was a six nine, you know, stretch four could shoot, think the game, pass with both hands. He was an incredible basketball player. That's very interesting. Now, uh, you went to the Lakers in a draft in 1981, right? You were yes. drafted in the second round, and you made that team as a second-round pick. Yeah. And you had people, a lot of people, when I tell them this, they really can't believe it. You had Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar the first year. It was. It's even better than that. Like I'd never heard of this 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 really dark skinned guy named Michael Cooper. Oh my! And, and Cooper was a beast. And Norm Nixon. I never heard of this little guard that went to Duquesne and and played out of Macon, Georgia, and he was awesome. I was so nervous. Uh, you know, at UCLA, I'd been a big UCLA fan, and Jamal Wilkes was a premier All American forward, and and. Uh, and his name was Keith Wilkes then, and I was so nervous the first day I met him. His name was Jamal, but I called him Keith, and he had to remind me. So it wasn't just Kareem, Magic, you know, Jim Jones, Jim Brewer, Eddie Jordan. I was surrounded by champion people, and it it was a, a huge eye-awakening for me. One, as a, what I thought an athlete needed to be, and two, it changed me as a coach. Because um, Pat Riley was extremely organized, and he was, and, and Riles was mean. He was cool, like you know, he 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 looked like he just walked out of a movie, but he was a huge taskmaster about about winning. And I learned from Riles and Kareem and Magic that in sports, people always take the easy route and think that they their achievement is what they've won. And what I learned from those three was that. Sp- True sports championships is about the opportunity lost. So with them, if they didn't win a championship every year, there was that was what you were judging yourself on. And so, you know, I tried to put myself in that bracket uh, as a player, and I wasn't physically gifted enough to do that. Um, but as a coach, every chance that I had, I knew I knew what I had to do for my team. And it, my evaluation at the end of the year or after the game or after practice was what is the opportunity that I just lost. And that opportunity is truly shapes a championship's drive and how they conduct themselves. So now you went back to Indiana for a second time as a pro. Yeah. What was that like? That, that was nice because, I, again, I was three hours from home. And uh, the fact that on, on uh, spring break and Christmas break, I could actually have my brothers travel with me to games. And, uh, you know, one of the great incidents in my mind was I took them on their Christmas break. We were the team back then. We didn't have charters. So we, we the plane stopped from Indianapolis in Cincinnati and my brothers were dropped off. And then they took the flight with me to Boston. We were playing the Celtics. And for them to see that competitive nature of Boston Garden. And, and we had an uncle, my mom's brother, that lived there. And I never forget we were leaving. And I asked him, like, what did you guys learn tonight? And one of the knuckleheads said to me, like, Larry Bird just scored 28 of his 44 points with his left hand. And that, that stayed with you? Did... It stayed with me because that knucklehead was Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that he that he could see the detail that needed to go into 
what actually went on in the game. And it wasn't the hoopla, but it was the detail and, and the will to, to understand that detail. Now, you ended up in Philadelphia with, here's a cast of names that uh, Moses Malone, Charles Barkley, Bob McAdoo, and uh, Julia Serving, too. Julia Serving. Yeah, him, too. Mo, right? Mo Cheeks. Mo Cheeks. Andrew Tony. Uh, but the greatest one from a, from a character shaping standpoint was Bobby Jones. So, Bobby Jones, for whatever reason, uh, that short period I was there in Philly, uh, took to me, him and his wife, Tess. Uh, I did not have to stay in the hotel. They, they offered me to stay in their house while I was there, have meals with their kids. Um, and Bobby Jones is just one of the best human beings I've ever had a, had a chance to be around in my life. Uh, truly sincere. Um, I always wondered why he dunked on people with his left hand, and then we're sitting there eating dinner, and he was eating dinner with his left hand. And I said, you're right-handed. He said, no, I'm left-handed, but my dad was right-handed, and he could only teach me how to shoot right-handed. Uh, yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> so, so it's amazing what you <laughs> learn. So then I learned to anatomically, you, you have to figure out what guys can do, and sometimes they're, you know, they are reversed. So, but that, that whole experience, the Bobby Jones experience was huge. And the other one was I learned not, never, ever to allow my kids in an NBA locker room. And uh, what I saw there – um, made a huge effect on me, and, and going forward from there, my kids were never, ever allowed to be in. Um, while I was an assistant coach in Milwaukee, while I was a head coach, uh, an NBA locker room is no place for kids. You end up with the Knicks, your final stop. Uh, that, you meet Daryl Walker. Yeah. You're on the same team. Yeah. This the picture gets better and better <laughs> as it goes on. Daryl Walker ends up coaching the Raptors. Right. Any tie there? Well, the tie was Isaiah because Darrow had played in Detroit with Isaiah, and um, you know it, it was it was Isaiah was like you know he ha- he had a expansion franchise, and Zeke did not know exactly what to do, and so he, you know he leaned on me like you know hey would you come in here and just consult and try to try to get me organized better organized right because it you know at Indiana I was the organizer right so. You know, it was a natural. I'd been with Milwaukee, and uh, I had introduced Isaiah to John Bitov, who'd been introduced to me by Russ Granick. John Bitov, that's a name in the past. Right. So, yeah. you know, so it's, you know, that's an, it's all Indiana ties. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, that's that's how it end up, ended up happening. And um, I was never expecting to, to, to coach in Toronto. Um, I was, you know, going to go back and forth. There was something else I wanted to do. And I went from like consultant to interim coach in 30 days. And then, um, you know, I was, I was head coach and that was really back before cell phones. I walk into, uh, you know, we were practicing at North York up on in North York at York university. Yep. You know, it was a, it was, the gym was probably 70 foot long, you know, and he's supposed to be NBA, he's supposed to be 96 feet. So it was a hard place to get stuff done with that, that really had value for players. It was just part of being an expansion team. And uh, came in with a cup of coffee, and Grunwald said he wanted to talk to me. Said, you know, I need you to coach the team. And I just said, okay, Daryl's back's out again. He said, no, I, you know, we came to agreement for him to leave. Well, I had no idea all that was even going on. So my first game ends up being coaching as interim coach in New York against the Knicks, the franchise had never beaten the Knicks. 
and my brother Chris was playing in New Jersey in a playoff game for the Vikings against the Giants the same day at the same time. So that wow. that was kind of special. We're going to come back with uh, complete the interview. Thanks, Wally, for, for chiming in with us. My pleasure. Commercial. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. Go, 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 go! Everybody down! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them every day. They've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We're going to hear a little clip uh, that was... Uh, uh, at the NFL Canton, Ohio Hall of Fame uh, induction. Butch, I wanna, want you to hear this, okay? And the first team I'd like to recognize, and I'd like them to stand, will be my family members. For a seat to my left, please stand. I appreciate everything you've done for me. I was very, very fortunate. My mom raised seven kids by herself. And I did look up to you guys as football players. I can't lie. 
But my hero growing up was a, a guy by the name of Butch Carter. He was the best basketball player in the state of Ohio. He was also my father figure. He was my role model as an athlete. He did everything the way you're supposed to do it. Conducted himself, dressed in the manner, did well in school, worked extra jobs, helped his mom. And Butch Carter, today as your baby brother goes into the hall, you need to know you're my hero. That is uh, an incredible speech. And uh, what did that mean to you, Butch? I know it's tough. Sorry. As a young man, I wanted my family to live better. So I fought every day the way society was set up so that I would be a good example. My father was a poor example, so I always had that strike against me. When your brother goes in the Hall of Fame, uh, that's not what you expect. Because he's had a beautiful life, and everything that I did... I did because I felt it was what was best for my family. Because when you're growing up by yourself as a young man, as a young black man in America, it's, it's never going to be fair. So I accepted that and did not use it as an excuse and did not allow my family to use it as an excuse. And things worked out for us. Things that worked out for us very well. So it's just... Uh, it was a pleasant surprise, and, and to this day it still is. Yeah, it's an emotional thing. It was an emotional thing for me, too, listening to it. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I'm going to get back to Middletown High School now. We're going to lighten things right. up here. You, were, you went back to your old high school to coach them, and you ended up turning a losing team around to an 18-3 record, and you hold the distinction of being the player of the year in Ohio— as a basketball player, the high school player of the year, and the high school coach of the year in the same high school. How did that feel? Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's your home turf. It's, you know, as a, it was good to go back, and uh, there was something I learned very quickly. I wanted to save all the kids in my old neighborhood. I learned I couldn't save them all because they, they were living in some diabolical situation at home that really did not allow them to function when they came to school and came to practice. We saved a lot of them. We saved a lot of them. And, uh, you know, I, I drug tested. I went back and said, hey, we need to drug test. And that was one of the ways I helped turn it around, that they had a reason to say no to people who were offering them things that they shouldn't be doing. And so, you know, I think that the problem today for most young males is that um, there is a lack of character that allows them to do whatever they want instead of telling them that life does not allow you to do whatever you want. And so, you know, that's why I would never worry about me having a coach and turn a team around because I know I'm going to ask them to do things that other people won't. And for the most part, they will respond. 
And normally that response gives me a better person. When you get a better person, you get a better basketball player. And most people don't realize that. So uh, if you combine that with, you know, all my life experiences with all the really talented people that, that I saw play basketball, I probably have a head start on most people. But I enjoyed every day, every practice with those young men at Middletown High School. Uh, they are still extremely close to me. Um, one of them, Greg Derbyshire, runs a the largest basketball camp network for basketball players and football players called Pro Camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done very well, and he's become the gatekeeper for that team. And they either go through Greg or go through me if something comes up. But um, that was a great time. That's terrific. And uh, being both the player and the coach of the year, that's uh, that no one's ever done that. Yeah, and but they, that's just that's just an extra. You know, that just I had the right platform. You know, people need the right platform. Coaches need the right platform, you know, to be honored. And uh, Middletown as a player was the right platform for me, and as a coach was the right platform. So let's get to the Raptors, some, yeah. some interesting stuff. Everything has been interesting, but the, the Raptors, everybody talks about Richard Petty, Glenn Grunwald, and Butch Carter, the triangle. What happened? First of all, you took a Raptor team to the playoffs for the first time. Right. I think your record was 45 and 38, something like that. Yep. Something close to that. You have a two-year contract with the Raptors, mm-hmm. and they're saying that you tried to get Glenn Gorman fired. That was what came out. It doesn't right. seem like that on the surface when I read up on this. What happened? Well, the thing that, that's amazing to me is that Glenn called me and said, you know, we're going to make a change. And he and I had already discussed that if he needed to do that, you know, that was fine. I said, you know, okay, fine. Went over, met with Glenn. He said what he had to say. He wanted me to go upstairs and talk to Richard. Richard wanted to have me give my box back because he thought I wanted to coach. And I told Gunner, you know, if, if I'm not coaching here, I'm not coaching, you know, anymore. You know, there's something else I want to do. I've been chasing this basketball a long time. So... A week later, uh, it, it leaks through one of the papers that Richard thought that I was trying to get Glenn's job, which is the biggest joke in the world because in my contract, it written and signed in my contract, they couldn't hire an assistant general manager without offering the job to me first. Wow. So, you know, the issue at the end of the day is, you know, the the Toronto media allowed that to be thrown out there without doing any fact-checking. All right, but in my contract, if they pulled my contract today, it's going to say that the assistant general manager job could not be offered to anyone. So when I had done the contract, I had protected myself. All right, and look, Glenn almost let me do what I wanted to do anyway. All right, so I wasn't talented enough to do the GM job and the coaching job. Yeah. All right, and I wanted to coach, but I wanted to do it without interference. All right, to me, I, I seen. A little while ago, where Richard put something on Twitter that the beep test, which I bought to what we we're using for conditioning, and he, he challenged me, which he did, all right? But I don't go shoot baskets against my players. And I've got the, the executive of the franchise saying, I want you to run the beep test against me, all right? It's the insinuation of a coach running a physical test that he gives the players against the executive, all right, is the most preposterous thing that you could ever do. It's insulting to the fact of what the structure should be. So at the end of the day, um, 
I think Richard Petty is the worst executive that's ever in charge of hiring basketball and hockey people, right? I don't know about the business side, but at the end of the day, he, he had no intuition or facts about what to do with any sports team. On that note, thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you next week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.